When I was coming up in the fire service, it was always, hey kids, suck it up and just deal with your problems. Well, the human brain is not meant to endure the trauma that we endure. It's not meant to see the things that we see and the experiences that we experience. This is Code 3, the podcast for firefighters. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again. We're about to delve into a subject no one wants to talk about, firefighter mental health. It's a taboo subject, probably because for years we've been taught to believe that having emotional problems is a sign of weakness. Well, you know what? It is. And if you had a physical weakness like a broken leg, you'd get it treated before your next shift. Here to discuss firefighter mental health is David Wicklansky. He's a firefighter EMT with the New Brunswick, New Jersey Fire Department, and he has over 15 years in emergency services. David has made it his mission to end the stigma associated with mental health problems and connect responders with resources to thrive in their careers. David will be presenting a couple of seminars on the topic at Firehouse World 2018 in March, and he joins me now. David Wicklansky, welcome to Code 3. Scott, thank you for having me on and for addressing the topic of firefighter mental health. Well, let's get right into it then. Why is there a stigma surrounding firefighters and mental health? Like you addressed earlier, if it's a physical injury, we would take care of it. You can see it, and not a lot of people would ever question it. However, we can't see what's going on within someone's brain or within their own mental well-being. So we tend to judge it. We tend to go, well, most of the people that we deal with in the streets, we deem them to be crazy. And I hate the term crazy personally, but unfortunately, it's what we all seem to know. We refer to people as EDPs or emotionally disturbed persons. And then we fear becoming that ourselves. We also start to question whether or not the man or woman standing next to us or riding in the jump seat next to us will be able to do the job because they have something wrong with them. But in reality, mental issues or mental health issues across the country, a vast majority of us will have them at some point in time in our careers. But even something as simple as major depression is over three quarters of the population will have a major depressive episode at some point in time in their lives. So it's not something that we should be ashamed of. It's not something we should fear. It's something that we should embrace. It's something that we should get the help that we need for. And it's something that we should strive to be better at and better understanding of so we can continue to do the job that we swore to do. Obviously, it's going to take a cultural change for this. How do we change the culture to make it acceptable to discuss the subject? Uh, exactly what you're doing now. It's We have to get out there and we actually have to talk about it. Yes, mental health is a taboo subject. And yes, there's a lot of people that still go, hey, we don't need to talk about this. There's no problem. You know, when I was coming up in the fire service, it was always, hey, kids, suck it up and just deal with your problems. Well, the human brain is not meant to endure the trauma that we endure. It's not meant to see the things that we see and the experiences that we experience. 
So if we're not willing and open to talk about what's wrong with us, then we're never going to get through it. We're never going to get past the cultural change. Do you feel like there are some firefighters who are just never going to get this? Maybe they're from the old school, but they're just never going to understand what we're getting at here. That's the dinosaur approach, as I like to call it, or the secondary is the ostrich approach. Because we all know if we bury our head in the sand, we just expose our asses. Um, when I was at Firehouse a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with a guy out of Long Island. And he asked me what I was lecturing on, so I told him, and he goes, uh, we don't need to worry about any of that stuff. You know, you should just suck it up and move on. And I looked at this guy just like astounded, like you're in Long Island. Like you should be in a more progressive fire department. Why do you have this mentality? Why are you this dinosaur? So I gave him my card and I was like, hey, I'm not that far from Long Island. I'll come out and I'll lecture for you guys because obviously you need it. But we still have that mindset. You know, I don't want to say the second and the third generation firefighters, but we don't even address it in recruit school. We do a very poor job of addressing the problems and the issues that we're going to see in either your recruit programs, your EMT and your paramedic programs, and we don't prepare the next generation for the stress and the trauma that they're going to endure. If we did a better job of doing that, perhaps then when they become the leaders in the next generation, they'll pass that knowledge on. And yes, it's going to take time. It's not going to be like, let's flip a switch and change things overnight, but we can start to make that progress and start to get that cultural change that we're striving for. Now, I'll throw in a personal story here. I was a member of a SAR team who had the proverbial crusty old commander, and one day he said, I don't know what the deal is with these kids and PTSD. I saw dead bodies when I was 17, and it didn't affect me. Obviously, it affected him in some way. Maybe he never realized it. But it does seem like it's the older generation that needs the instruction on this. I think a lot of that is that generation, the older generation, never really had to deal with mental health. Now, at least it's more at the forefront. We're seeing it more in the media. We're seeing a lot more about mental health support services that are out there. The National Fallen Firefighters Foundation has the Stress First Aid Program. There's a lot of push at the national level with both the NFPA as well as your labor organizations like the IAFF to address health and wellness as a comprehensive program. Physical health is just as important as mental health because if there's something physically wrong with you, it's going to drag down your mental well-being. So we're starting to get there. We're starting to make that progress. But the older generation and those crusty old guys, as you put it, need to get with the program. They need to start looking at the literature. They need somebody with the sharp pointy stick that's going to poke them in the eye and go, this is important. We need to start actually seeing what's going on out there. I have a nagging suspicion that we're losing volunteers and we're also losing career providers to the stress and to the stigma of mental health because they're seeing the changes and they're seeing the darkness that's overtaking them. And they're seeing the fact that there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but they have the, the wherewithal to say, you know what, this isn't for me. I don't want to go down this dark road. Let me get out of it. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're losing good providers earlier in their careers. You're leading two sessions in March. One is called Psychological May Day, knowing when to call for help. What's the focus of that one? The focus of Psych May Day is all about the types of resources that are available and the types of mental health issues that we're seeing in the services, as well as how to recognize them. I get a lot of phone calls, text messages, emails from individuals that go, 
hey, Dave, I think somebody's having a problem and I want to help them, but I don't know how to. I don't know what's available to me or to them to be able to help them. And I just, I don't know how to help. But as firefighters and as EMTs, we want to help people. So this addresses some of the, not only local uh, resources that are available, so they'll be local to California in this case. I tend to modify the course wherever I'm going, but also the national level resources, the 1-800 numbers, the crisis helpline numbers, everything that you could possibly need. So if somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, Scott, I have a problem. You go, listen, this isn't really my forte. I don't know how to handle this, but I want to help you. So let me put you in touch with somebody who can address your problem. And thank you for coming to me and trusting me with the fact that you needed help. That's really the first step. If somebody's willing to come to you and trust you with that, great. But then the next step is how do we get them to the resources that they need? And the other session is box alarms for behavioral health. What does this one address? Uh, box alarms is a, a much longer program. It's actually one of the pre-conference. So it's one of the four hour ones. It takes a comprehensive wellness approach to mental health. We actually look at the four major, I use alarm assignments. because It's easy enough for everybody to understand. The first alarm assignments being all of your individual skills, your resilience, your coping skills, your stress management type skills, everything that you need to do to minimize the impact of trauma on you to begin with. Then we move up to the company level skills. So peer support, how can our shift commander support us? From there, we go on to organizational level support. So how do we deal with things like EAPs? Most people have an employee assistance program. However, most employee assistance programs are incredibly limited. That's not a fault of their own. It's simply it's an insurance product. It's going to be limited in the scope of what they're allowed to have. So we look at the benefits of certain types of EAP programs, and then we go into behavioral health assistance programs, which are more geared for that. And then we also have to look at the regulatory aspect. Here in New Jersey, we have very limited, and I say very limited tongue-in-cheek, we have almost no mental health training in our basic recruit, uh, recruit programs. We've been pushing for it on the NFFF side. We've been pushing to get the stress first aid class into the classroom to educate our recruits. In the EMT programs, there's about five slides dealing with death and dying and the fact that you're going to undergo traumatic experiences. So we're trying to get the regulatory approach. And then obviously with the regulatory approach comes, how do we pay for all of this? Because that's obviously a huge problem. Budgetary issues are a problem nationwide. So what can we do to actually address the regulations and address the payment side of the uh, the house. How does somebody know when they've got a problem that needs treatment as opposed to something that maybe they can deal with on their own? Is it how long it lasts? Is it how much it impacts your ability to work? What is it? There's a couple of different things. It's going to sound like a very non-committal answer when I give it to you. Depending on the type of issue, most of us can undergo a tremendous amount of stress and still function. It's when we start to impact our activities of daily living. It's when you no longer want to get out of bed, when you no longer want to do things that you enjoyed, when you notice that you went from you know one or two drink a week type individual to you're drinking to forget, you're waking up and you're hungover and you really can't function anymore. These are all impacting your ability to not only do your job, but impacting your ability to survive and to have a career. So we definitely want people to recognize that behavioral change. Unfortunately, in a lot of us, it takes someone else to recognize that change. I'm a very laid back, thought out type person. So when I start making impulsive interpersonal decisions, 
I know that I'm spinning out and I know that I'm starting to have a problem. And occasionally that takes somebody else to go like, hey, Dave, that was really impulsive. Why'd you just do that? And as soon as I hear them say impulsive, I just go, oh, crap, that obviously something's bothering me that I wasn't aware of. And it's kind of weird because here I am, the trained clinician. I should know exactly what's going on with myself. But sometimes it's very hard to see what's going on within our own self. All right, David Wiklansky, thanks for joining me on Code 3, and I hope to see you at Firehouse World. Fantastic. Looking forward to it, sir. Thank you for having me. And we've put some more information on mental health issues on our website, code3podcast.com slash mental health. Now here's Holly. Thanks, Scott. If you haven't become a patron of Code 3 yet, now's your chance. All you do is click on the Patreon link on our website, code3podcast.com. You can make a monthly pledge to support the podcast. We want to make this the best show we can, but we need you to join us. What's Code 3 worth to you? A dollar a month? Five? Ten? Maybe more. And when you pledge, we have some nice rewards for you. So don't wait. Do it today. And become a patron of Code 3 right now. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. 